at the Ecology Hour coming up for you just a moment with the return of Chris Skyhawk to the KZYX Airways. Amazonas, Costa Rica to mangy BC hills, cortege rhythm of falling timber. What kind of currency grows in these new deserts? These brand new floodplains. If a tree falls in the forest, does anybody Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Chris Skyhawk. I'm glad to be back in the airways after many years and many strange journeys. I'm back here. Uh, thank you for being with us tonight. In the background there, you're hearing Bruce Coburn, If a Tree Falls. We are going to talk tonight to Matt Simmons. He is a legal fellow with the Environmental Protection Information Center in Garberville. And we're going to talk specifically about the recent executive order given by the outgoing Trump administration that repealed about 3 million acres of protection for the northern spotted owl. And we're going to talk to Matt about what this means to the survival of the species, as well as other issues that are pertinent to the North Coast and to Epic. So I thank you for being with us. It's been many years absence for me. I'm super happy to be here. I really appreciate Rich Culbertson being in the studio with me tonight. He's looking over my shoulder, be sure I don't end up with a lot of dead air. I haven't run, run the board for a long time. Okay. Uh, I'll let you listen to Bruce for a minute or two, and then when I come back, we'll have Matt live with us. Thank you again. Busy monster eats dark holes in the spirit world where wild things have to go to disappear forever.
Okay, and with much gratitude to Bruce Coburn, as his song, If a Tree Falls, is an ode to a plant that is being deforested. And some, someone that's been doing things about this is the Environmental Protection Information Center for many years. And we're going to bring up Matt Solomon now. Hey, Chris. Good evening, Matt. How are you tonight? Uh, I'm good. Uh, it's, it's Matt Simmons, actually. Simmons, I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries. Oh, thanks for the correction. Uh, yeah, but thanks for having me. So, Matt, I, as I mentioned, I want to talk very much launch into the recent Trump administration, the outgoing, the repeal of several, some millions of acres of protection from the spotted owl. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself and for our listeners that may not know Epic, uh, tell us a little bit about Environmental Protection Information Center, please. Sure. Um, so I'm an attorney. Uh, I'm a very new attorney. I actually just took the bar exam in October. Uh, and found out that I passed the bar earlier this month. Oh, congratulations. Uh, I just graduated from law school. Thank you. Um, so I'm an attorney, uh, and I, you know, I wanted to practice public interest environmental law, and there aren't very many places that are better to do that than at Epic, um, because Epic is a, you know, a community-based nonprofit up here in Northern California that's focused on defending, you know, Northern California's forests. And really, you know, the whole Pacific Northwest forest, but, um, it's, we do a lot of really important work, you know, litigating and commenting on issues. And, you know, I, I've only been here a few months, but I, I really love it. Well, congratulations on passing the bar and congratulations on having a good sense of where you should work when you're done <laughs> and what to do with your degree. Because Epic, for those of us who follow them for years, of course, they're just Goliaths in terms of environmental protection and all the things they've done. Uh, over the years. So thanks for that. So let's talk specifically. I know that many people are aware that one of the outgoing parting gifts left to us by the Trump administration was the repeal of some protections for the North Spotted Owl. We'll just say NSO. That's the acronym for them. Can you tell us a little more specifically about what that was and as well as educate any of our listeners who may not be aware of what happened there? Yeah. So in the very last week of the Trump presidency, on January 15th, um, they issued a rule that changed the designated critical habitat for the NSO, or Northern Spotted Owl, um, by reducing it by three and a half million acres. Um, and if that sounds like a crazy large amount of habitat to reduce for an animal that's critically endangered or, you know, very, very endangered, uh, you're right. That, that is what happened. Um, and so this decision, you know, has been has caused a lot of uproar among scientists, among environmental advocates, among basically anyone who cares about the northern spotted owl. Um, you know, with some scientists even saying that this is basically a death sentence for the northern spotted owl. So can the Biden Biden administration reverse this? So it's a little complicated. So there's a thing called the Congressional Review Act, um, which allows Congress to reverse recently passed executive regulations. And so Congress could just, you know, like pass a law basically saying this regulation is over if they do it in the next, um, I think they have about a month left. They have 60 days after the rule was passed. Um, and then Biden could go through the process of making a new rule right, and undo it that way, but that takes a lot longer. That would involve him, you know, going through the whole process that can take years and quite a while. Mm -hmm. So he can't 
So Biden, the Biden administration cannot just wave it away and say, well, we're going to go back to what was. They have to go through the whole process again. Right. The, the general rule is it sort of has to go out the same door it came in. And the Trump administration went through the process of designating this rule. Now, they did a, a really sloppy job. Um, and other environmental groups, including Epic, are already in the process of, you know, preparing litigation to oppose this rule if it's not undone by Congress. Um, but, you know, it, in terms of it's not one of these things that Biden can just sign an executive order tomorrow and make it go away immediately. Okay. So is there any chance that Congress will take this on? Uh, you know, I'm hopeful. I think this decision uh, was so, you know, cruel and unfounded. And it was it's one of these, you know, last minute efforts of the Trump administration that I think, you know, they sort of saw as like, oh, well, we're really going to be leaving. So we better do this on our way out the door. Mm. Um, I think, you know, it'll come down to, you know, some of the more moderate Democrats probably uh, in terms of whether or not this actually happens. Um, but, you know, I, I'd say with the fact that, you know, Dems have a very narrow uh, control of the Senate, um, it's certainly possible. It's more possible than I think it would have been, you know, before the Georgia runoffs. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we have, you know, in Biden, a president who's, at least in terms of talk, it's still early in his administration, uh, you know, more serious about, you know, climate change and other environmental protections than we've had in a long time. So I'm hopeful. I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it's a sure thing, but I, I think it's, it's definitely possible. And Epic and other environmental orgs are, you know, in the process of sort of putting pressure on our, you know, legislatures and politicians to, to make this happen. So, Matt, what are the other orgs involved in the legal, the legal process at this point? Yeah, so I have a list. Uh, it's EPIC, um, Earth Justice, uh, Center for Biological Diversity, uh, Audubon Society of Portland, Oregon Wild. It's a, it's a long list, you know, because it's Sounds like the, I want to laugh and say the usual suspects. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I think... This, this decision by the Trump administration was just so egregious that it everyone sort of saw it and recoiled and thought, you know, if if there's if there was ever something to you know work up a fight about, it's this because you know the environmental movement has been fighting for the owl for so long that the idea that Trump was just going to you know give it away in the last week of his presidency feels really rotten. Well, as soon as a gift to the corporations, for sure. I mean, that's literally what it is. It was, it was, the impetus for this was that the timber corporations sued um, the federal government asking for the, the habitat to be removed. And the rule was issued as part of a settle, settlement agreement with the timber industry. So it, it really was directly a gift to um, the timber industry. So let me ask, I'm terms of practical, in terms of practicality, how this is going to interpret itself on the ground. Now, I'm assuming these acres are federal acres on National Forest Service land, mostly BLM probably? Yeah, it's a mix of BLM and Forest Service land. 
Um, and by that we, I should say, we mean Bureau of Land Management, not Black Lives Matter. <laughs> yes, that that confusion has yeah. started to come up. Um, yeah, so it's it's all federal land, and basically what it is is critical habitat is land that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has designated as essential to the survival of the species. Um, so they've said, you know, through they're supposed to use the best science available. You know, this is the habitat that it needs to be protected in order for the species to survive. And so that's the habitat that Trump removed three and a half million acres of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it contradicts everything that U.S. Fish and Wildlife has ever said about this land, you know, because when they originally listed it, they explained all the reasons why it's so essential for the northern spotted owl. And so Trump is reversing, you know, decades of that that work. I am curious how this will play out on private lands. Like uh, here we have, of course, Mendocino and Humboldt Redwood Company. They're the major players now up here. How will this affect their, on their lands, and private lands? Yeah, so it actually doesn't directly affect uh, private land. Um, and it's, it's actually, I think, a, a misconception about this. Like it's, you always have like the person who's trotted out as like the, other person is like a, you know, a small private landowner who, who can't, you know, do what they want to do on their land. But that's, that's not really what this is. It's, it's large timber companies on federal land, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I actually think this is a, this is a misconception about who the fight is between. So on, on private lands like MRC and HRC, they will mostly remain intact and the regulations are currently there. Yeah, I mean, there's still, on, on private land, there's still the, the general Endangered Species Act protections, but but these critical habitat protections don't apply, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. I thank you for, I'm just searching for the clarification there. Thank you for that. Yeah. No, I know it's complicated. I, they, they didn't make it easy to, to pick up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll be sure our listeners know, understand, too. Yeah. So what what are the owl populations in the, the habitats now along along the Pacific Northwest? How many owls are out there? Do, what's the sense of the general health of the species in terms of numbers? Yeah, so I don't have I don't have the latest numbers right in front of me, but I know the news has just been bad for for years now. Um, you know, with with all the different factors that are contributing to the decline of the species, you know, none of them have lessened and they're all contributing to each other so you have first you know the destruction of habitat because we you know we continue to do a lot of logging and we've done a lot of logging in the past then you have the barred owl which is an invasive species that yes, I you know, to, really disrupts yes i wanted to talk about that some too yeah um and then finally i was going to say you have the fires which you know fires are a natural part of the ecosystem but in combination with those other things, they're another stressor on the spotted owl. Um, and so, you know, if you're already really stressed by a lack of habitat in the barred owl and then a fire comes through, that can be the sort of catalyst that puts it over the edge. Um, and so between all those things, you know, the numbers have been really, you know, scary. And in places that used to have northern spotted owl activity centers, which are you know, areas that we know that there are northern spotted owls and that they're breeding and being okay, 
you know, they go back in after a fire and they aren't really there anymore. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they're dead, like they could have moved, but it's it makes it hard to keep track of population numbers. Let's let's turn our, turn our attention to the barred owl. I'm not sure many people may not know about the barred owl. Tell us what they are and how they arrive in this area. Yeah. Um, so the barred owl is not native to the western U.S. They're actually native to the eastern U.S. Um, and I don't know if we have a definite... We know they, they were in northwestern Canada and then sort of moved south from there, but we don't. I don't think we actually know how they first got transposed from the east coast to the west coast. Um, and basically, the barred owl is just a bigger owl than the northern spotted owl, and so when they're in the same location, the barred owl can outcompete the northern spotted owl. You know, they're, they're hunting the same food, and so the barred owl is bigger, and it, it can push the northern spotted owl out. Or if they want the same tree to nest in, the barred owl is bigger, and it can push the northern spotted owl out. And so, you know, as their numbers pick up, the barred owl is displacing the northern spotted owl. Hmm. Uh, um, and, you know, it's, it's just another example of an invasive species that is sort of changing and wreaking havoc to the endemic species. Um, and it's just making trying to save the northern spotted owl all the harder, um, you know, at the same time that we have all these other problems going on. Um, one thing that I actually recently learned is that when... So northern spotted owls are sort of famously easy to survey for because when you perform a spotted owl call, they call back to you. So I, I, I've never done this, but you can you can make sounds like a northern spotted owl in mm -hmm. a forest, and if there's a spotted owl nearby, it'll respond with the same, same calls, you know? Um, but once there's a barred owl in the forest, the spotted owl is scared of the bigger owl, and so it won't call back. It doesn't want it to know it's there. Yeah, just want to say, hey, um, here so, I am. I'm over here. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, and so it's actually making it harder to get a good count of spotted owls right now because they're they're hiding. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's a that's a huge problem, uh, and it's it's one that you know is is going to take some probably controversial um, steps to deal with at some point if, we, if we're really serious about it. Um, but I don't know if you, want to, if you want to talk about that. Oh, please. Where, where would you like to go, Matt? Oh, uh, well, I just, I know some, some people have called for basically, you know, the hunting of barred owls in order to protect the spotted owl. But I think that that is internally a, you know, a, a complicated, uh, issue for environmentalists, you know, who oh, I think a lot of people wouldn't want to advocate for hunting owls. Um, and so, you know, I'm personally conflicted about that and mm. I'm not, Epic has no position on it. Um, but it's, it's, it's just one of these really troubling problems that we have right now. Mm. When is it, when can we expect to see a lawsuit filed by the organizations that you were talking about? Yes. Yeah, so we that? filed. Yeah. So we filed what's called. Um, here, let me pull it up. 
we filed a 60-day notice letter, um, which is, this is basically a procedural requirement that in order to sue someone under the Endangered Species Act, you have to file a letter explaining what you're upset about and why you're suing, why you want to sue. Uh, and then they have 60 days to respond um, from us filing that letter. And so we filed that letter, EPIC and the other environmental orgs, um, with leadership by Earth Justice and Welk and uh, CBD. We filed that letter on January 19th, so 60 days after that would be mm-hmm. uh, March 16th, would be the, the first day we could file our, our litigation. So hopefully, you know, Congress has, has acted by then, um, and this will be moot, but we'll see. Has... Uh... I'm thinking, I wonder if uh, Congressman Huffman has shown an inclination to take this up. You know, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, and I don't, I don't want to just speak okay. uh, off the cuff. Sure. I hope he, I hope he will. It's an important issue for his uh, constituents. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want, you mentioned fire. I'm curious about this because we usually think of the old growth habitat as being resistant to fire. So you said this is having an impact on the owls too. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's important to think about there's sort of different levels of severity of fire. And, you know, a low severity fire probably has very little impact on the owl, right? It actually probably has a lot of benefits because it, you know, sort of rejuvenates things and mm. you know I, I don't know if you've, you've talked about like the the beneficial aspects of fire but it, it can, I, th- I it's think really that, I think the many of our listeners are becoming more aware that fire actually has a place in the natural ecosystem mm. yeah so that's that's definitely true and, and epic and I have nothing against we think fire is actually super important and, and necessary in our forests the problem is is that when you have a really severe fire, going through an area that's sort of like the last remaining refuge for the owl. You know, if you've, if you've already logged all the other old growth, except for like a circle around where you, where you found an owl, and then that one little tiny refuge burns really severely, mm. the owl has nowhere to go. So this isn't really the fire's fault. It's our fault for having logged so much that the fire becomes more destructive than it otherwise would be. Sure. Um, and so then, like I was saying, the combination of all three of those things, the loss of habitat and, you know, the recent really severe fires is having a, a really detrimental effect on owl populations. Matt, I'm just going to take a minute to introduce, reintroduce this show and open up the phone lines. It's about seven, almost 730 here. This is KZYX and KZYZ. I'm Chris Skyhawk. I'm your host tonight for the Ecology Hour, and my guest is Matt Simmons. He's a legal fellow with the Environmental Protection Information Center, and we are talking about the rollback of protections for the spotted owl that the Trump administration did on the way out the door, kind of one of those last-minute things. If you'd like to get in our conversation, please call 895-2448. So we'll see. I don't know if anyone wants to join in. We'll see. Matt, we'll see. Sure, I'm happy to happy to take questions. Sure, sure. Well, this has been. Oh, we do have a caller. Hold on. 
Let's get them up here. Hello, oh, Collie, you're on the air. Yeah, uh, that's Anne-Marie Weibel in Albion. Hello, Anne-Marie. Hi, uh, welcome back to the radio, and welcome to Matt Simmons. Um, I do get uh, notices from the Environmental Protection Information Center, EPIC, in Arcada, and um, I did read about the latest issue with the spotted owls, and um, I'm sure many other people want to call in and ask questions and make comments. I just wanted to congratulate EPIC for all the amazing work they've been doing for many, many years, one of them uh, dealing with Caltrans for the last 12 years uh, with their attempt to want to um, make the road wider through the Richardson Grove, and um, um, I hope that there'll be enough legal power to fight that last round. Um, I know these lawyers are expensive, so if anybody has money, uh, I mean, these lawyers cost at least $1,000 per hour, so, um, you know, it's amazing all the work you do. So thank you. And I just, uh, for a comment for Matt, maybe you could also let people know how to find out more information on your webpage. I looked under actions and issues and found 14 links dealing with the northern spotted owls. I looked under action alert um, where people can sign a petition. Um, the date for that was June 2019, but you can still sign. And then also under block is the most recent information that, uh, Matt, you were talking about uh, as far as what the Trump administration just recently did. And um, I'll... You know, I'll get off the phone, and uh, thank you, both of you. Thank you for much. calling in, Marie. Yeah. Well, thank Matt, you, thank you so much. That was that was really nice. Matt, I'll let you go. Um, I'll just you just go ahead and feel that. I, I was just going to say thank you, and in terms of the website, I know we're actually in the process right now of redoing our website, so it should be uh, more navigable really soon. Matt? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, go ahead. Keep going. Oh, that was that was all I was going to say. It was okay. Just, uh, well, we have, yeah. another, we have another call. I'll go ahead and take them, okay? Okay. You're on the air. Hey, this is Janet in Little River. Hi. Uh, this is a wonderful show. You're on the air. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm a... Janet in Little River. Hi. Hello, Janet. Hi. Hi. I, I really like Oops, a lot of feedback. A lot of feedback. Yes, turn, turn your radio down, Janet.
So thank you very much. That's my comment. And uh, if you want to expand on it, I'd love to hear it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Janet. Is there anything you'd like to say about that one, Matthew? Matt? Uh, I'm going to be totally honest and say it was hard for me to to hear everything. It was choppy, huh? Yeah. Um, I appreciate the call. Well, Matt, this is the, you and I talked about possibly expanding our discussion to talk about some other Projects that Epic works on on the North Coast. Would you like to do that? Sure, happy to. Okay. Um, I can actually stick with another northern spotted owl, separate but related issue. Um, so five years ago, Epic submitted an uplisting petition to Fish and Wildlife Service, arguing that you know currently the northern spotted owl was threatened, was listed as threatened, and it should really be listed as endangered. You know, the, the just the fact that the population's been declining so steadily, um, it's just, it's time to move it into the endangered candidate can, category and sort of be honest about where it's at. Um, and again, you know, about two months ago, in, in the last couple months of the Trump administration, they finally responded to our petition, and they issued what's called a warranted but precluded finding. Um, and what that means is they agreed with us that the northern spotted owl should be listed as endangered, but they were too busy to, like, do the work to actually do that. Um, And so, you know, I guess what they were busy doing was writing up this plan to reduce the habitat by three and a half million acres. Um, And so it's just, it's pretty hypocritical to, to say, you know, oh, yeah, it's endangered, that's warranted, uh, but we're too busy. Oh, and here's what we were working on. It was a plan to reduce the habitat by, you know, a ton. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just another thing we've been working on, and uh, that's another you know potential lawsuit in the works. Um, Matt, I'm going to go ahead and take another call while you are, we have a moment here. Okay, hold on. Sure. Hello, call you on the air. Yeah, this is Randy from Willits, and thank you for your uh, our radio station for covering the issues that need to be discussed. But I'm just really disappointed. I mean, if you look at the log deck in Ukiah, there are 1,100 foot tall, probably 500 feet long, hundreds of thousands of trees have been cut this year. And it's just frustrating and, and infuriating because I was active with the headwaters in 1992 when, when Judy Berry got bombed. And, you know, the loggers have had free reign for so long. We have no timber harvest plans when the Jackson State Forest, that's what I'm calling Randy, it. Randy, I want you yeah, to I just want to speci- talk for a minute have, about a specific the question Jackson? for the caller, please. Yeah. Sorry, Is there please. any way that we can, we can tie in, uh, you know, the legal battles take many years, many, many months. But the, the, right now there are six timber harvest plans in the Jackson State Forest. There are state, state lands and federal lands, and these private companies are coming in. They don't pay taxes. They don't, you know, file reports. I'd like to see where the jobs are doing the monitoring of the data retreat, you know, documenting how many trees we have left because there's 99% of the old growth are gone. And the salmon are endangered, and I think that you know we need to enforce the rules that are there. And it's and who's in charge? 
you know, who's the wildlife services are, are um, there's, there's no fishing game presence in Mendocino County. And, you know, Caltrans should not be able to do the scenic corridor, Highway 101 going north from Leggett. You know, they should not be allowed to go from Willits north because of the scenic corridor. Randy, Randy, okay, I want I'm you to saying, please ask how do we, okay, a, we need a the specific jobs question. For the okay. How do we get the jobs for the environmental movement? Have the monies that they're extracting? We live in a third world country. They're extracting these resources. And, and, you know, for us to spend thousands of dollars an hour to file suits when, when they're, the courts are, are biased toward the, the industries because they're, you know, it's a, it's a long struggle and it's a continuing one. It's been a brown for a long time. Randy, for the last time. time, I'm going to ask you, ask, okay, okay. ask How, a specific guess, question. Is he conscious? Is he aware of the Jackson State Forest? How do we stop the the rape of the state lands? Thank you, Randy. I'm I'm very very aware of going on in Jackson. I actually wrote the action alert for Epic uh, about the THPs on Jackson right now, um, and I've been working on comments and putting together a coalition to try to stop those timber harvest plans. And I totally agree about what you said about the profit motive and how it's all backwards and, and messed up. And, you know, with a lot of this timber harvesting, it's not even really profitable. They have to, you know, give them a tax break and give them funding in order to make it profitable at all. Um, and so, you know, I agree that we really need to totally rethink, you know, our whole, our whole mindset about this stuff. And I, and I wish, that we were this willing to fund projects that weren't environmentally destructive. You know, wouldn't it be nice if if we were willing to give money to, you know, things that are actually beneficial to the environment or beneficial to people the same way we are to loggers and not just loggers, but like oil and gas and all these other extractive industries. I, I think I think that was like spot on about needing to change our priorities. Mm. Let me ask, is there what would you recommend the citizens do at this point to support the Northern Spotted Owls? What political actions can we take to support these efforts? Yeah, um, I guess, you know. I, I, I'm just asking that because I can really sense the frustration of the last caller. And yeah. I, I, people, are, I'm sure, are wondering what they can do at this point. Yeah, I mean, so... There's a couple of things, and I mean, none of these are, are like a silver bullet, um, but I would say, you know, making sure your representative knows how you feel about these issues. I think, you know, people actually underestimate, I think, how much like a call can make a difference, um, particularly when, you know, especially if, if, these, if these politicians only hear from you, like at the 11th hour, I think it sometimes is you know, not going to make a difference. But if you're kind of more engaged, more regularly, and that's not just at the federal level, it's, it's state, local. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a big proponent of sort of thinking about your own consumption and thinking about, like, you know, what am I using that is related to this timber industry and that's causing the demand for this timber in the first place? Um, now, obviously, that's not going to solve it alone, but it's something you could do in your own personal life. Um, you know, I, I don't have a, 
I, I not to plug Epic too much, but you can donate to organizations that are sort of on the ground fighting these issues. And that's not just litigation. It's, you know, advocacy groups and political organizations. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not an easy fight. And so there isn't a, there isn't, you know, one, one quick action to take. Mm. Um, yeah. And as, as this unfolds, I imagine Epic will keep, People updated on the web page. Definitely, Anne Marie was mentioning that. Yeah, so um, you can go to the Epic web page. It's wildcalifornia.org, um, and we have a blog that sort of regularly updates with regards to what we're working on, um, and then we also have action alerts that you know have uh, links to submit comments on projects and regulations and other things that Epic is fighting. Um, and I think the caller was talking about the, the website being hard to navigate, and I actually know this is an issue we're addressing. We're um, currently sort of redesigning our website, so it, it's going to be easier to navigate soon. So we did also touch upon the Richardson Grove and Caltrans issue, and we've, of course, been all over the NSO tonight. What else would you like the listeners to know about Epic? Um, yeah, so we talked about this, the last caller brought this up, but another campaign of Epics right now uh, is actually in the Jackson Demonstration State Forest in Mendocino. Um, so a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with this area. It's it's actually a kind of unique um, piece of land in California. It's, it's a state forest, but it's designated for timber production. So... You know, it's not like the federal land that's for timber production, and it's not like the state land that's designated for recreation. It's like a weird hybrid mix of the two. Um, but the but the land is really popular with a lot of you know recreational users. It's it's become like a popular mountain biking and hiking and mushroom foraging place. Um, and so, especially in certain areas that haven't been logged in a long time. Uh, the fact that CAL FIRE is proposing to start logging back up right now has made a lot of local people really upset. Um, and so Epic was actually approached by a couple of different local community groups about these timber harvest plans, and they said, hey, is there anything we could do to oppose these? Um, and so we've been working on, you know, getting the word out and writing comments and, you know, potentially um, – you know, if, if Cal Fire is unwilling to change where they're headed with these, you know, potentially thinking about future litigation, um, because this is like a really special area for a lot of people, and we don't want Cal Fire to ruin it for, you know, you know a quick buck. Um, yeah, so I, I can give you more details about those plans or anything you want to know. Um, I think I know that that has been covered in the Ecology Hour. And I think, I think if people are pretty well aware of it. You should put fellas in whatever you want to, but but there is a, quite a consensus working against these plans and we're working in, and how they will be implemented if they pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they're just it's it's really unnecessary work, and, and Cal Fire sort of wants to pitch it as 
like pro environment logging, you know, that they're they're saying they're gonna thin the forest and that that'll make the other trees grow faster. Um, but this it sort of just ignores all the other destructive impacts that come with logging. You know, they they're gonna have to build new roads, they're gonna have to come in there with chainsaws that disrupt all the wildlife. They're gonna close areas that are right now open for hiking for, you know, like a year or, or more. Um and so it's it's do we when you weigh all of that against just sort of like letting nature, you know, recover on its own, um, it, it seems obvious to me that it would be better to just do that. <laughs> I'm also wondering at this point, I would think that Jackson State, I know that people have talked about this, I would think Jackson State Forest is probably giving as much money into the public coffers through recreation as through logging. Is that true? It's if not more, I think, yeah. particularly if you think about all the money that's, you know, sort of indirectly associated with recreation, like all the, all the mountain bike stores and all the people who, you know, sell like Airbnbs and hotels and like recreation is a big business. Um, and so it's not the case that this is really, I, I, this is the argument I usually make, but it's not the case that this is sort of like, you know, big money versus a bunch of environmentalists. Like, I think there's, there's, you know, financial interest in, in keeping these places beautiful, too. I'm curious if you have uh, information. Now, back in the 80s and 90s, of course, many of us are aware how much of the federal lands were clear-cut in Oregon, Washington, Northern California. I'm curious if you have data what the level of harvest is now coming off of these lands. Uh, are you talking about the the state lands or the, the, the federal lands? lands. I switched gears on it again there, sorry. The national forest lands. Yeah. It, it's interesting. So it's, it's, they're not doing as much, especially of like old growth. They aren't doing clear cuts the way they used to. But what they do a lot of still um, is they do a lot of post fire logging, which is you have a fire and the, you know, on, on federal forest lands and the Forest Service says, hey, you know, we got to go in there and clear hazard trees and make sure, you know, repair roads. And while we're there, we might as well do a bunch of post-fire logging. Um, and what that does is it basically amounts to a clear cut just after a fire. Um, and that's I think they really call it salvage thing. logging, yes? Salvage logging? Yeah, they, they call it salvage logging, but we don't use that phrase because it's sort of a it's a misnomer. It's, it's a, they want you to think of it as like they're saving the trees, but they're really destroying habitat because, you know, especially burned areas are important habitat for a lot of species. Um, and it's, it's not just habitat, but it's that those are the nutrients that are going to help regrow the forest. And so when you, if you have a fire and when you clear it all out, you're just like salt in the wound, you know, it's, it's not, um, it, it prevents the forest from regrowing healthily. Um, and so Epic, you know, has a long history of opposing this sort of stuff. And we actually had a lawsuit. Um, it was about, you know, when when they, they call it hazard tree removal. And Epic isn't opposed to this. It's basically removing burned trees that are in danger of falling onto a road or a trail. And we totally understand that that's like a necessary thing to do because of safety but they use that as an excuse to justify 
you know, clear-cutting just a huge, broad swath along, like, every road and every trail, even if it's hardly ever used. Um, and, you know, I think if you're balancing the scales of, you know, the chances of a tree falling versus, like, this huge swath of cutting, uh, it's it doesn't come out the way they think it does. Um, and so Epic believes, you know, that at least they should have to really think about which trees they cut and, like, conduct proper environmental analysis before they go in and just start clearing all these. You know, a lot of them have burned, but they're not dead because a lot of, a lot of these trees can survive, mm-hmm. you know, low-intensity burns. And so the idea that you need to clear-cut all the, like, a huge swath along every road after a fire is just not true. Uh, about two or three months ago, this is on a personal note, a friend and I we went over to Mendocino National Forest, Lake Pillsbury area, which had been swept by fire about two years ago. And even though we have had drought, I was stunned how much greenery was on the forest floor. It was stunning. There were grasses and mullen. Mullen were loving it. All kinds of uh, fur and madrone were popping back up. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that area had been entered for salvage logging. It looks like it had just been left alone since the fire. And the amount, mm-hmm. of, the amount of greenery was there. I just couldn't believe it. I, I left very hopeful, very hopeful about the power of the earth to recover. It was really something to see. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I actually grew up in Southern California, but it's, it's sort of the same. We have a, a fire-adapted ecosystem down there, too. And I, I have very similar memories of, you know, areas that I loved burning, and then I would go back a year or two later, and it was the same thing with that, that huge green sprouting up. And you sort of knew, like, oh, this was okay. This was, this was supposed to happen. You know, it, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back. It's going to be okay. Um, and you know, I'm not a I'm not a biologist, but there are trees that are actually like adapted to fire to the extent where their seeds won't germinate until they reach a certain temperature. Like like they they need fire in order to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think learning to sort of not just live with fire, but sort of like embrace fire and and sort of understand how necessary it is is, is a really big step that we all need to take. Yes, yeah, so there seems to be a lot more consciousness about it now. I remember I interviewed a couple of Native people about the use of fire in my, my previous KZX career many years ago, and there was there was nobody talking about that. Now people are really talking about it. They understand the fire use, the how, how the Earth uses the fire now, much more than it used to. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I've actually been really hardened to see indigenous people sort of leading this fight, you know, particularly... Like the Yurok and um, the Karuk have sort of they've maintained, you know, despite you know colonialism, they've maintained a lot of their traditional uh, cultural fire practices. Now, now um, the knowledge is still there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, we have about eight or ten minutes left in the show. I'm going to just tell people if you want to call eight nine five two four four eight to join the discussion. We started talking about the Northern Spotted Owl and the recent rollbacks of the Trump administration, the protections for these owls. My guest of course is Matt. I'm sorry, Matt, your last name just left my head again. <laughs> it's Simmons. Matt Simmons, right, from Environmental Protection Information Center. If you'd like to join us, we're talking general ecology issues along the North Coast. Eight nine five two four four eight. So Matt, um Maybe you want to take a few minutes just to give a little parting synopsis to all we've been talking about tonight. 
and as well as tell people where they should go if they want to take action. Sure. Um, well, parting synopsis. Uh, the Trump administration was really evil and terrible. Uh, and on their way out the door, they did a lot of things to try to, you know, uh, help the timber industry at the expense of not just the northern spotted owl, but our old growth forests and all the other ecological communities that depend on them. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that both the Biden administration and a newly, you know, Democratic-controlled Congress will rectify that problem. And even if they don't, I'm hopeful that, you know, Epic and allies can, you know, sue to stop uh, that from happening. Hey, Matt, um, and Matt that, I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt your synopsis because we have a caller, okay? Sure. Hello, caller. You're on the air. Well, thank you. I hate to rain on your parade, but you need some perspective. I took forest classes in the 60s. Everybody in the business said, let it burn. Nobody's doing it yet. So it's not a new subject. You're not the first ones to discover it. But, you know, there's just a huge, huge societal block against it. And I'm probably part of it since I moved to the woods myself and carved a house out of the woods. So anyway, are you there? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, good luck. Okay, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I, I look, I, I appreciate that because he's right that this isn't new information. It's mm-hmm. like it, it, it's we've done it for forever, and we we failed to to act on on that knowledge. Um, and it's like a good reminder that just because you know something doesn't mean you'll actually do something, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I, I I take the caller's as a word. It's it's a serious. It's a serious societal issue that we have to overcome. But I agree with you that we, we, there is movement on this issue. I mean, I've seen it in my lifetime, and I'm sure you have too. Um, yeah. Okay. Go ahead and continue. Sure. Um, what was I? Oh, so, you know, I'm hopeful, you know, to some extent. But then at the same time, you know, here we are in California with our democratic-controlled government, and still Cal Fire is pushing for these timber harvest plans, and Caltrans is pushing for the Richardson Grove project. So it, it's not like just voting blue is going to solve these issues or save these issues. We have to, you know, keep fighting every day um, and really, you know, not let our guard down because there's a whole host of uh, people with interests other than the environment that are ready to sort of swoop in and, you know, make a quick buck at the expense of the environment and people and communities. And, you know, I, I think it's just important to be aware of, of all that. Um, and then in terms of actions you can take, um, I feel it's my responsibility to direct you to the Epic website, which is, again, wildcalifornia.org. Um, there you can find action alerts and blog posts about what we've been doing. Um, but, you know, more generally, there's there's a lot of good, um, you know, environmental orgs, like, that are out there that do a lot of really great work besides Epic, too. So take your pick. Um, and, yeah, that's, 
that's nice and out to us. Okay, well, we'll let you go, and we'll probably take the show out with some music. Thank you for your time tonight, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was this was fun. It's been very fun. Thank you very much. Yeah. Good night. All right, see ya. Okay, we'll play a little music to take us up to the 8 o'clock hour. Skyhawk in the College Hour. Thanks again to Rich Culberson for singing with me. 